with David Ian and Kate Dale. The show that plums the depths of mediocrity, celebrates the ordinary, and enjoys the everyday. Hello and welcome to Media Gay, the podcast where we cast our eyes upon a sea of ordinariness and pluck out things that we think ought to be celebrated a little bit more. My name's Katie Dale. And I am David Ian. And today we have got a Scottish stand-up comedian and our token straight friend, Richard Cobb. Welcome, Richard. Welcome, Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Wonderful, thanks. Yeah, good. So I got, got a little bit lost in this building, but yeah, no. It's, yes, uh, it's a bit of a maze, isn't it? We got here in the end. So Good, good. Okay, so uh, tell us a bit about you. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I guess uh, stand up. So obviously met mm-hmm. at, uh, a couple, of, probably a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, met some gigs. At a mm-hmm. lovely venue. And, a gig uh, that you enjoyed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it definitely doesn't feature in any of my stand up sets. <laughs> um, uh, a very successful one. And uh, the yeah, I guess we've been doing stand up for about a year. Moved to London um, probably two months before lockdown, which was a uh, wonderful timing. I uh, also left my car in Edinburgh, so that was also wonderful timing for just coming down here and just being like, oh, this is nice. Um, and yeah, that's... And you're getting married real soon, five weeks? Uh, yeah, five weeks, yeah. So that's uh, that's exciting, obviously very exciting. Um, I don't know when this is going to go out. Hopefully the wedding has happened. <laughs> and oh, it's a bit awkward hitches. if it's been a jilting, oh, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to do a re-editing. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um it's all going good. Yeah, the planning's going well. So, it's, have you enjoyed um, the planning? I have. It's been really good for the stand-up material. Um, <laughs> how involved been, in the planning have you been? Um, well, I don't know how much I can divulge, but I I've been involved in like the latter stages of it. So I guess when it's been like, so this is what we're going with, and I was like, all right, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think my mom asked me what time it was happening, and I was like, two ish, and I think it's one. It could be, or it could be half one. Right, so your mum might so, miss it. Yeah. Um, well, Richard missed it at that level. Yeah, yeah, but no, I think I've, I've been pretty like I, I think it's it's quite a, a, a stereotypical male thing to sort what of. What I'm be hearing a bit is like... that you're a mediocre wedding planner. That's what I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, you see, and I don't want to pay into any stereotypes here, but I have a feeling that in heterosexual weddings, very often the role of the male is to be uh, a silent partner, and. Just likes Hashtag gender stereotypes. No, I think that's that's true though, because it's I, I feel like there's a it, it seems like a very lad Bible guy type thing to do to be like, oh, I'm just going to turn up yeah. at this time. Probably even those guys probably know what time they're getting married. So that's <laughs> yeah, awkward. But like, yeah, and I, and I feel like I've like with us, we've always been because obviously last episode, um, Jeremy was talking about um, Jeremy, Jeremy, yeah, yes, yeah, sorry, I don't know. That's all right. So in the last episode, Jeremy was talking about the uh, he'd been with his partner for twelve years. Um, I've been with my partner for eleven years, so I feel like within oh that time, God. it's kind of um, you know we, like we kind of know like we've got enough. We kind of know what each other want, and in, in the kind of wedding sense, so it's it's not too much of a. It's are not going to go too much the other it, way. Are we exclusively booking people who can do relationships? <laughs> There's a reason why we've launched a podcast and they're settling down to happy yeah. lives. Oh my God. Okay. Well, maybe some of it will rub off on us. Okay. Amazing. So, so the way the podcast works, sounds like you've listened to it. Big fan. Good. Uh, and you saw the show, so you understand. So uh, we're going to go through basically and look at things that are mediocre, but that you love anyway. So Richard, tell us what mediocre means to you. 
mediocre. So I guess as well with with the the research of the last episode of, of Jeremy saying that he googled it. Um, I listened to that bit and thought I'm going to have to panic. And I just Google can't believe well. how well prepared everyone is. We just stumble in here. I and don't know. Like, I just woke up here this morning. I feel like for me, it's it's kind of uh, a lot of the the mediocrity. I guess like from that, a, a lot of it's I guess self contained. So for me, like I I feel if if I read up on what was mediocre, I feel like a lot of that I kind of like reflect back on myself. So not in a kind of like feel sorry for me sort of sense, but in a kind of I feel like quite a lot of the stuff I do is pretty mediocre. So I feel I can relate to it quite well, just in the sense of um, that I kind of, I don't like stuff that I would think is mediocre. Other people could be like, oh, that's actually pretty good or pretty interesting. Whereas I, I get quite sort of inward and think like, oh, shit, like, nobody's interested in that. See, I find this really interesting because I sort of thought, I feel like, and I guess Jeremy kind of maybe t- touched on this before, I feel like it gets a bit more, my tendency, like what's, what am I trying to say? My tendency is to think that it was a bit more built in being gay growing up because you were othered and you were like, oh, I'm not the same as everybody else. And so I did wonder if having like somebody who I like, I've seen your comedy, you're really funny, you're confident, you've found someone who wants to spend their life with you, you're straight, like you're quite cool. So to my mind, it's like, well, I don't know, you know, he's going to come at mediocre from another angle, but it turns out that you feel mediocre as well that kind of just blows my mind i guess just like in a sense of like i think like this probably goes into the last question actually already but like i feel like a little bit see when say if i'm at like i'm going to my sister's in a couple of weeks who lives down in sussex and like i'd gone to uh one of her parties a year or so ago when it was legal not like one of the not like during not the illegal one. yeah 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 no, and, boris johnson party yeah yeah and um like I think I was introducing myself and I get really like weird about my sort of self-promotion, which you're going to find out about in a second. And it's just sort of like, oh, what do you do? And instead of being like, oh, I work at this company, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I'm a writer and I do a bit of stand-up. And then as soon as that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, what am I fucking doing? You know, I'm just like, I've got that kind of shame of just like, this is pretty embarrassing. And then I instantly go like, why have I done that? And then people are like, oh, that's like, uh, that's really interesting. And I'm like, yeah, sort of. And I feel like I immediately sort of like Play shoot the balloon yeah. down. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's it's that fear of being seen. What I think is really bizarre is, I don't know if you remember, but um, we didn't actually meet at a gig a couple of weeks ago. We met a few months ago at a gig that neither has got to perform at. And I thought that I knew you already because it turned out we followed each other on Instagram. Yeah. And we follow, I followed you on Instagram because you looked really cool. I got told I had a triangle head the other week by someone on Twitter. Somebody's oh like, God, was it me? You've got <laughs> that sounds like an offensive <laughs> thing I would say. It's just funny that, that perception. It's just like, kind of like, oh, that's such really nice. But also I'm like, but I focus on my kind of like, I've got a triangle head. And I'm like, do I? I'm just like measuring it. In the, no, I don't in the think so. But I did tell you at that time. I was like, oh yeah, with, I, I follow you on Instagram because you looked really cool. And like, it was really interesting in that. And, and then I didn't know if we'd met or not because I'm terrible with names and faces and people. Um, and we yeah. just ended up being at gigs that we never got to see each other before, Matt. Yeah. So to me, to hear that you think that, like, that you need to play this stuff down, just yeah, and um, I'm I'm thinking about the irony as well of because I I that's, I completely recognise that and I do that as well. If I'm asked what I do, um, in, I hate that question and I don't know why I haven't worked out by now my sort of thirty second elevator pitch to either excite interest if that's what I want or just kill the conversation if that's what I want and just be done with it. It'd be yeah. a really simple thing to do, but I haven't. So I always tongue-tie and either downplay it and then hate myself for that or upplay it and then don't want to do any follow-ups. 
and it's just as a really complicated thing, which should actually be a basic. I can't believe that this thing. is what we're talking about because this, so this is something that I have spoken to my therapist about quite a lot. In the old, in my old life, I used to own a number of businesses, and I used to hate like if you were meeting new people, they'd be like, "What do you do?" And I'd be like, "All right, like I run this and I run this and I run this." So I used to tell people that um, I painted the H on helipads. <laughs> How? <laughs> someone has to which is exactly what they said that's the, the stock response oh right yeah i guess someone has to and then they don't know what to say and it ends the conversation and then i gave all that up and i trained to become an actor and i got oh so you did actually paint the edge no i didn't <laughs> like i just used to say that because it very slow enough i owned some businesses i didn't really want to talk about because there was no because when you own a business people are always like is it there's no in between between either failing or you being a millionaire they can't understand anything in between when most of the time you're just busy like pedaling as hard as you can to keep your head above water. But sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not. And it, yeah, it's really complicated. So you don't want to say anything. So then I gave all of that up and I trained to be an actor. And then I would go to parties and people were like, well, what do you do? And I wouldn't want to say I was an actor because then they'd immediately be like, what have you been in? And I'd be like, Oof, a couple of adverts that you've not seen or anything like that. So then I'd go back to my painting H's on helipads. And now people are like, what do you do? And I won't tell them I'm a comedian. But when I met you, you said to me, I'm an actor. And I was really impressed by that. And you then talked about how that is who I am and what I am. And it wasn't at that point paying the bills necessarily. So you were doing other work, but that isn't who you were. And what I loved about that was it was, that was who you were professionally. Yeah. Whereas, and it reminded me of um, something I read of somebody who surfed. Um, was it me? <laughs> it wasn't you. Nor was it your surf instructor, which only makes sense if you've seen me doing oh, the gay. But as a surfer, and somebody said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I surf. And they said, oh, my God, you get paid for doing that. And he said, no, but I'm a surfer. I do this yeah. to pay for the bills, whatever it was, working in. I think, days, I, I, do, I, do think I do think it's a really like important way to think of it. Even if you have someone else that pays the bills, that isn't necessarily what you are. Like, And my therapist used to say to me, if you don't tell people you're an actor or you're a comedian because you don't believe it, then how is anybody else yeah. going to believe it? Like, if you don't start with you. So now I do try. And yeah, when we met, I did say I was an actor. How'd um, you do that in like, you know, like Ubers and stuff? See, like, I've, I've been getting like Ubers to... I'm to not posh enough to get an Uber, Uber it's going pretty well. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> it. No idea. They don't ask me when I get on the tube. <laughs> tube? I get the bus. Um... And I think stand-up's an interesting thing to say in that context, in any context, because then, and actually it ties in with what you've said about you're either when you're on Live at the Apollo or you get that sort of face as well. Or, or, the, tell, me or tell me a joke. And you get people, or oh, my favourite comedian is, and then and it's always somebody who I... To be I'm fair, as an actor, what you mainly get is, oh, you'd be brilliant in EastEnders, to go back to Jeremy. Why don't you get your agent to call EastEnders and get you in there? And you're like, well... Do- Doctor Who. No, I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't thought of that until you mentioned that, you know. <laughs> Didn't realise it. you get a lot that. of Doctor Who, Richard? Do I? Yeah. I do actually, yeah. No, you yeah. said that, yeah. That's, yeah, uh, yeah a lot of uh, David Tennant, or like the previous one. Um, mm. Somebody said yeah, that. I, I think the first time it. I got that in London was in like a kebab shop in Putney. Someone's like, oh, it's Doctor Who. So I got a foot one. I was like, <laughs> and I'm also like, this is killing me inside slightly. <laughs> Did you get a free kebab out of it? Uh, no, it wasn't even like, it was somebody in the queue. So, no. You're on that wall there now, probably. I know. <laughs> you should have signed it. So did you tell us what mediocre was or did you just... I think we just interrupted. Sorry, I skipped around it. I think we just spoke over you. I gave a very mediocre response. So that maybe... That seems on brand. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I didn't know because you said skipped around it, but the other thing I was going to say is I find it, given sort of all the insecurity that we've all just expressed around that, the fact that we've all decided to go and do stand-up is utterly ridiculous because it is mm. in the context of that, because it is one of the... Well, I shouldn't say it's one of the most it's ever exposing things. It is exposing, it is vulnerable. You are putting someone's service to me every time, even if it's just a five-minute 
in an open mic night, you are putting how you feel about yourself, at least that night, in the hands of a potentially indifferent, quite likely different audience. Yeah. And we do that time and time and time and time again. And I don't really know where I'm going with that. It's not really a question. It's just the why we do with that when we feel mediocre about ourselves. Externally, someone looking at us and saying, God, you must really love yourself to do that. Whereas actually, it's the opposite. It's because we don't. I think a lot of it is that you need neediness, the validation it? from other people, yeah. isn't it? I think for me it was filling a gap from like from <laughs> I used to do, to do music, which is like another. I'm like, oh god, kill myself. But like, uh, cut that bit. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, like, uh, like I'm like not depressed. So this is another thing I was going to say about like because like a lot of stand up, it's like a, the first gig I did. So people are like, oh, what are you doing it for? And I was like, and um, to like to be on stage basically. And then like there was a lot of kind of going around the big eighteen room um, open mic and stuff. And they're like, oh, this is what what I've got and this is what I've got and stuff. And I and instantly like from the off as well, I'm like. Should I have should I have another reason to do stand up other than like for me it was um filling that void of having done music and kind of wanting that sort of shameless stage time. So I was like, I don't really like I went to like solo music and I'm like, I don't really like the sound of this. So I thought if I just get rid of the guitar and then just do that kind of audience interaction, then I'm like, at least that way I've kind of you get that dopamine hit of yeah. kind of like you're in front of people. Um Don't know what you mean. Um, um, no, no, no <laughs> idea. I'm still hoping for my day to be hit. Um, and so, can we ask about the music then, or do you not want to? You don't. Yeah, no, fine. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I. Uh, what about it? about what you did? So you were in a band. Yeah, yeah. so I was in like a, a band that used to sell t-shirts for and tickets for. Then they were like needed a bass player, so I think I, I took a couple of weeks off <gasps> in summer and then learned how to play bass. I did know this about you because your promo stuff when you like promote the gigs that you're doing, you always do in like a like a band sort of. In like poster format and like presenting and you told me that that's what you used to do when you did music yeah and it's the same with like i was like like in, i mean if if i'm doing a good enough gig that merits it if i always want intro music just to kind of um bring that that because with a band we used to always walk on like stupid stuff like uh will smith miami or rod stewart's mm-hmm. income's next day um, hot chocolate i played that the day that he died um mm-hmm. he's exactly the thing and it didn't go down that well but anyway like that <laughs> i just i love that whole kind of theatrical side to it and that yeah. kind of like dimming the lights and walking on and stuff like yeah. that and what was the name of your band and what sort of music was it they were uh, called quiet as a mouse still are and uh, mm-hmm. the, the weirdly i left the band some i moved to australia and then i came back and then the singer moved the band to australia a couple of years later uh, so that's, that's ships in the night slightly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. amazing so tell us something that you think that you love that other people think is mediocre? Um, I really love, uh, this is going to be shameless promotion again, um, I, re- I really love kind of reflecting on, so have you seen the film Big Fish before? No. Have you? With uh, Ewan McGregor. I don't know. I think oh, that's probably... why I've not seen it because I cannot bear him. Good. Good. Conversation for another time. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it's about, like it's based on this book, which the book isn't as good as the film. So it was a Tim Burton film, which I don't know, 2004 or something like that and like the whole concept is it's like a father and son relationship and it's all about like the kind of stories that the the dad says to the son which are like pretty like a lot of them are quite fantasy stories and like did it happen not quite sure so i totally love this film and used to cry at it all the time so basically a lot of the like if i had like high school girlfriends or whatever like when i was in high school i should say i was like yeah yeah <laughs> just for legal reasons <laughs> yeah um and yeah i would always watch that film and stuff and it'd be like i'd be like having to look at the curtains or something just to avoid crying and i'd be like oh yeah this is a pretty sad bit even though i'd seen it like 10 times before yeah um and i just i, I love that kind of the idea of passing on stories and kind of cementing the legacy sort of thing so then in my head i thought i'm gonna try to become famous uh 
something so like anything like making like get rich quick schemes so i used to uh had this idea once for i don't play golf very often but i had this idea for like um disposable golf balls um that, but they're made of fish blocks so basically we could tackle like the crisis of global warming by like feeding the fish so if you the golf ball explodes when you fire it into the sea then it like goes out to all the fish. And, oh, um, that's a really good idea. I thought that, but then I forgot that the ocean was filled with fish and fishy other fish. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they probably don't... yeah, they're not starving to death. That's yeah. not the problem, <laughs> and, like they only need fish blocks if you go on holiday for two weeks, and they're in your house Sweet. in a tank. Uh, so, uh, so what you actually needed was like some sort of anti-pollution, like cleanup, yeah. thing. And also, I'm like, I don't Ice know how many golf courses are like on the ocean as well. So. Ice cubes that can lower the temperature. Good idea. Good idea. Okay, so that was your pl- you were going to use. I really interested in your turn of f- phrase there that you were going to get famous with a quick rich a get a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, there was a few things like that, and then there was another one I thought of like this um, weird kind of a lot of it revolved around fish, and I never actually really fished before. <laughs> like, it was this idea of like a kind of like a um, camera on your phone, and you could, it had like a little reel on the back of it, so like the case you could just like uh, like unwind it and you could see where the um, the hook was going to try and catch fish. Do you fish? No, never. <laughs> Genuinely never <laughs> fish in my life. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I think it was, yeah, it must have been linked. So basically like when I when I lived in Sydney, I had like the view over like the, the harbour and stuff like that. So I kept often looking out the window and a lot of what I could see was water. So I just probably kept thinking of ideas fish. of how I could not be in the office. And, it yeah. just, and I, never, I never actually saw anyone fishing from the office either. Anyway, beside the point. Um, <laughs> Media, oh yeah, so basically one day I started writing a, a book on my phone because I love the idea, uh, like Big Fish, of sort of um, kind of, uh, I guess like keeping the stories alive. So a lot of like people like back then were like mad into the Facebook and stuff like that. And it was all about like making a big um, a big deal about their life and how everything was great. And I just kept thinking that was really disposable. So I thought instead I'm going to write a book. So I wrote the whole book on my phone and then... Uh, had it in the, the sense of because I wasn't famous at that point I thought if I do an autobiography as if I was famous um, based on my life then the I thought that could be a get rich quick scheme as well um, the, but I guess the mediocre side of it is that I haven't <laughs> I haven't really done an awful lot to merit one so I guess from that like a lot of people I've spoken to are like what's it about and I'm like oh me and then they're like what like what what do you do and I was like oh just just I've got to fly my face. Just like yeah, just live. You know. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. Is, have you brought it with you? I brought four of them with me, so I got distracted. As you, as is probably four clear for anyone listening. See, yeah. You've... So uh, I don't know. I does this count as mediocre? Because I guess because they are quite sort of mediocre stories in the sense that they're every day. So it's sort of like, is this worth writing down? Um, so hang on. The four oh. books are your autobiography. You you have four volumes of your autobiography. Well, what happened? It meant to be one. So the plan was initially, this is going to be very hard to edit. But anyway, the plan was uh, at the end of the, the book, I was going to propose to my girlfriend and it was going to be this big, big thing. Uh, but then it took me too long to write the book. So I ended up... <laughs> She wasn't going to hang around and wait. I realised as well, because I, I was quite keen for the book to come out. This is maybe another thing that like... I don't actually read that much myself. So I sort of think if I make them shorter books, like 150 pages, then people are more like casual readers. Yeah. Well, like they just well, sort it's of very Dickensian, actually, with serial. That's, yeah. Um, and also, I, I thought I'd get four times the money from the one book, which didn't really materialise when nobody bought after the first book. But anyway, so essentially, it was the first book, uh, which is uh, Richard Cobb, part one, that easier to digest years. Oh, you're cute. I've seen that to you. 
Um, and then, so, the, so for like basically, I signed the top of it when I was. I was just seven, noticing that because uh, I thought I was going to be a famous footballer that played for Hearts. So you, this is the photo. I don't know if they'll be able to see that on the camera, but th- so you, this photo you signed yeah. ahead of being a celebrity. Age, but actually, no, I was probably like nine or ten actually at the time, I guess. And Pose as if I just signed for the football club, and uh, <laughs> signed it because I thought I'd be. Uh, quite famous one day. I love this on the back. He hopes you enjoy these memoirs, but not too much because the more people that buy this book, the more of a nightmare his tax return will be. Yeah. <laughs> Still haven't done one. I don't know if that was... I'll, I'll divulge that. But, um... So yeah, so basically, so that happened, the first book, and then it, that was up to about the age of 18. And then I used to do this weird thing, which was going to be my topic of mediocrity, of really love advent calendars. And uh, I used to do like a lot of like advent calendar updates, which were kind of just like saying how disappointed I was at whatever I'd find in this this advent calendar. So I did that for about 10 years and I thought I'd just copy and paste them all and put them into a book. Um, and that one's called An Advent Story and Other Nonsense Loosely Themed Festive Page Fillers, which unarguably didn't merit a standalone book. And I think that's probably too long a title. But uh... <laughs> I mean, okay. Um. How many of these have you sold? Uh, on like off officially or? Uh, I mean, <laughs> have whatever you I want. Think I probably like I think two hundred and fifty of the first thing. one, and then I've sold about seven combined of the other three. Two hundred and fifty. Yeah. How did people find out about it? Well, that was another thing because I thought in my head I was like the, the obviously for like books you need like a hook. Um, much like a phone app uh, <laughs> that you go fishing like, yeah that you go yeah, fishing yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and I thought the hook was that I wasn't famous but I was writing it as if I was famous but then it turns out when you're trying to promote a book about not being famous nobody really wants it on account of the fact they don't know who you are and yeah. I hadn't really thought that through at the writing point but yeah. so how did point they out, I'm looking at this pretending I can actually read it without my without glasses, glasses on, on yeah. How did you find it? How did you? How did uh, people find out about it? Basically a lot of it was kind of friends like word of mouth and stuff like that some of it was uh, I think people probably bought it accidentally. Okay, so where online. can people buy this book? It's Amazon. So search for if we just search for Richard Cobb. On if you Amazon, if you search for Richard Cobb on Google, you'll find a serial killer or a romantic pianist. So if you kind of do, you have to kind of do like the or if you do Richard Cobb book, there's also like a 17th century French book. That's so Richard Cobb thing. Part One: The Easier to Digest Years. Amazing. Okay, so everyone will go out and buy that. Yeah, and then I'm slightly confused. So you think that. So you love these, but everyone else thinks they're mediocre? Is no, that... I think the concept of, because it's because I don't feel like, even like a lot of celebrities are like, say, whenever they bring a book out, they're like, I don't think I've done a lot because I'm only aged like 30 or something. So I see a lot about people being like, yeah. you need to justify yeah. a reason for doing something. So you need to have done something big. Like you need to be like a big celebrity to have I mean, written something. Whereas I'm kind of just talking to two people who have launched a podcast for no reason other than they like to hear well, themselves talk. And I was just thinking about... Um, in an earlier episode when we were talking about soap operas and EastEnders in particular and about the joy of soaps, that sort of soap is the everyday and the, the mundanity of all in the details. And actually, I think there was something quite nice about somebody else's ordinary life. And I know we're Elia, really early into doing these podcasts, but what I'm already learning from talking to people is when you have proper conversations, actually have a conversation rather than just talking at somebody, Kate, everyone has so much more interesting going on with them that there is no such thing as mundane. We can't say there's no such thing as mediocre because then we've completely destroyed the entire concept. True. And we have to stop and I'm not ready to do that. You've got two more books. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
this one. So uh, the I think I, I was checking my phone screen time one day, and the this is effectively exactly like I've like rehearsed the back page, um, and yeah, basically one day I think it said I've been on for like eleven hours or something, and I thought like I'm probably wasting my time on this. Like I'm kind of because I get like like as we probably established like inward guilt a lot about like time wasting and I'm not doing an awful lot, and and I thought I could do so much more. So then I kind of targeted the um, was it twenty twenty the leap year. Um, which I thought, you've got an extra day. Little did I know we were locked down for six months. <laughs> but February, February uh, 2020, I was like, oh, I've got an extra day. I might just, uh, what can I do? So I had this like stupid idea of sitting down to write a book uh, on a topic I didn't really know. So basically just see what I'd start to write. Yeah. Uh, concentrating the thought without any chapters and stuff and just like uh, see how much I could get. So I sort of wrote a 65-pager and I'm not, I don't really know quite what it is. It's a little bit mental healthy, so it's a little bit about how... Uh, feeling quite like alone or like moving down to London although I moved down with my fiance it was very much like kind of the both of us and it was kind of the idea of moving to London and everything being like uh, so many opportunities it was a little bit like I'm kind of 30 so like I feel a bit old to be making mates so I kind of you know it was me and her which was amazing but also kind of it's, it's the two of us so it was kind of like missing that kind of social interaction so a lot yeah. of it's kind of like unsticking my mind and just being like uh, actually things are okay kind of yeah thing. so so yeah that was another distraction and then i finally finished the uh the other book which came out at the end i think october 2020 or something so that so part two is actually the fourth book but i got distracted in the middle 18 to 30 yeah wow okay that's i don't think this is mediocre no, i think it's incredible yeah i, I think it's an incredible i think even the 65 pager, that being a response to thinking about screen time and lockdown and all the impending everything of that year, just feels like an incredibly strong response. The fact that you got you finished them, I'm a really yeah. terrible completer of things. So, uh, yeah, I'm, my, also, uh, my gabber is flustered. No, my flubber is gasped. I also think there's something about um, just like the recording of like the everyday. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that in itself is incredible. There's an amazing uh, book, which is after the Second World War, they did the, what's it called? The National Diary. And they got loads of everyday normal people to, I think the word normal, but everyday people to just do diaries. I forgot what it's called. I'll find it. We'll put it in the links. And there's a book that compiles it. And it's really everyday details, but it's such a rich resource of just what life is like. like a time capsule, essentially, yeah. isn't it? You've done Effectively like what it was for, yeah, and, and I guess it was that kind of like getting away from the disposable um, social media aspect of like, this is what I've done, yeah. or like, look, my kid's turned eight months, I'm like, nobody cares, nobody you know, cares. sort of like, whereas if you, really say, if you actually kind of write it down <laughs> and like stuff that you've done, then I kind of, I thought like, if, if I have a family one day, then I'd kind of want to pass on the message like yeah. Big Fish, I guess, in the sense of the stories. Um, and a much better time capsule than the BBC one, which went mouldy and everything flooded and went rotten and... I had a joke about that actually. I don't know <laughs> if I can say it. Can I say it? Do okay. it. Why not? The, uh, so, like, Philip Schofield opened the. I had to edit this out in my Edinburgh set, but Philip Schofield uh, opened the time capsule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like, why is he asking if he can say it? Now I remember why. Yeah. And then uh, he, they'd open it on this morning, and uh, the headline, I think, on the, the Mail Online was uh, Philip's devastated as he opens the time capsule and just finds out lots of like sludge and stuff inside. And it was all the article about how devastated he was. And I said, at least now he knows how his wife felt when he found that box at the back of his closet he kept there since the 1980s. Um, it's a gay joke, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to call that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Okay, so wrapping it up. 
uh, yeah, and I guess where we get, I was going to say get personal, like we've already gone there, but um, uh, what feels mediocre, mediocre, mediocre about you? I, th- I think for that, like, I, I think I've got that kind of probably established. I, I think like that probably it's probably a lack of confidence. It's like sometimes like, it's like an overconfidence, but then it's like inwards kind of like, um, it's like introvert, extrovert kind of thing, but it's kind of slightly confused a wee bit. So I kind of get, I don't know, as much as I kind of want a lot of attention from stuff, I often sort of reject it as well a wee bit. So say like, weirdly, like when I was growing up and stuff, like probably like when I was getting a bit older, actually like teens and stuff, it was, if it was my birthday, I'd be like buzzing for it. But then on the day of my birthday, when I was getting presents and everything, I'd be like, oh my God, I feel terrible about this. Yeah. And I'd feel severely like, why is this happening for me? And uh, yeah, I, but then I'd also be like feeling guilty about how I was portrayed. So I don't want to seem like I was disappointed by it. But then I'm also like trying to unscramble my brain and think, well, how do I like how do I appear to other people? Even though in words I'm like, this, this shouldn't be happening. And I I feel like for me that's the biggest downfall. And like I kind of over overactive brain in the sense of wanting to write, wanting to do music and comedy, but then also like the first sign of like I guess the imposter syndrome probably. I'm just like, why am I doing this? And like you know, like going to a gig and not wanting to seem like shit at it but then also like kind of instantly think like not one to think oh i've done really well in that gig it's kind of like a lot there's a lot of overanalyzing that happens so i think for me that's like a pretty exhausting and uh yeah i just find that so interesting because that is not how i imagine you to be at all like yeah. from seeing you on the outside again it brings me back to brene brown who you can find online she's this uh shame and vulnerability researcher and she spoke about the fact that you, it's a lot of people and she did it herself. You, you, you like manage and control where your work is and where you are. So like to prevent it becoming too big or prevent it getting out of hand and not like let it live its natural life. Like I, I mean, you've got four books, but I, you have, doesn't sound like you've got a website that I like that you can just go to like and buy all of these do you even have them on like a link tree? I've got a link tree on right. my Twitter and stuff. But so, like, it's kind of... So when we were like, where do they buy these books? It's your Twitter account, right? Yeah. Not like, oh, just Google my name. But you're yeah, doing yeah. that to control like how much exposure there is to yeah. you because it's too vulnerable to be seen. I even I even feel shame saying Amazon. I'm like, Amazon? Like that. And then it's like, that's like the biggest it's place like, you yeah, can yeah, get. Yeah, it's amazing. Well. Yeah. It's just that controlling of like not... what the vulnerability that it takes to be seen for who you yeah. really are and what you're really doing. And you should be massively proud. I'm going to order your books. Not all four of them. I'm going to order the two that are about you. <laughs> <laughs> you like um, I might order out of a calendar. I know I won't read the other two, but I will read about you yeah. and then freak you out with my knowledge. It's like my uh, my fiance's not actually read any of them. I've read out a lot of extracts, but I mean, that was kind of the stumbling block at the end when I propose. Um, spoiler alert. But then... Um, if she wasn't going to read So it, was that how the proposal was that she would read the book and then get to the question and that's when... That was the idea. But then I was watching, uh, we were watching Sunday Brunch one day and um, Joel Demet said at the end of his interview that he proposed to his girlfriend via book. And then... Like we were sat next to each other, and she's like, "That's really sweet." I'm like, "He sounds like a dickhead." <laughs> <laughs> and then went to the bathroom and cried. Yeah, and the yeah. difference is that she read his book, whereas if your fiance hasn't read your books, you'd be waiting for an answer. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, it'd be like uh, you have to oh. read this one. Exactly. I have so many opinions about elaborate. Not that would have been lovely, and I wish this had happened because I want this to have happened. But elaborate YouTube proposals and overall, that's a whole other episode. 
There you go. Well, Richard, thank you very much. This has been amazing. Yeah, very been lovely, interesting. Very I might have to rewrite some of my jokes about straight white men, which is quite annoying because it's, it's, only, more... it's, it's only one. Okay. It's only one. I might just he's have the, to say it apart from Richard he's then. He's the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> uh, where can, what have you, so you've got your books promote. Where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Richard Cobb. Um, I started a late TikTok and it's not going down well. And I try and go on the platform and it stresses me out. So I've been in that. So uh, Twitter and Instagram is the. So it was uh, at the Richard Cobb. Yes. Amazing. Great. Well, you can catch me on Instagram at Mr. David Ian. And me at Katie with an IE, S Dale. Thank Katie you. S Dale. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we will see you again soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mediocre Gay, the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and give us a five star rating. It helps other people find the show. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Mediocre Gay Pod or share your mediocre secrets with us on mediocregaypod at gmail.com.